Tonight, God's Word comes to us from Acts chapter 6, uh, that is printed in our worship folder tonight, and if you have your Bibles, you may turn there at this time. Uh, you will notice this is a fairly lengthy text, but we are dealing with a sermon in chapter 7, and I wanted to read all of that sermon and then set up the context in uh, the last part of chapter 6. So again, a rather long reading of God's Word tonight, but it's Sunday evening. What else would we want to do than hear God's Word read? So I'm going to begin our reading at chapter 6, verse 8, and read through the end of chapter 7. What we hear now is God's Word. And Stephen, full of grace, and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. But we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan, and great affliction, 
and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, the angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in the flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer, by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us 
Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside in their hearts. They turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not, did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man sitting at the right, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Here we have the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are in the second section of the book of Acts, our study of the book of Acts. That second section that began at chapter 6, before chapter 6, we have the ministry of the church in Jerusalem. And now in chapter 6, we have that transitioning to the ministry of the church in Judea and Samaria. Chapter 6, we looked at last time, began with the story of those seven servers set apart for the church. And now in the rest of chapter 6 and 7 and 8, 
we hear more about two of those servers. In chapter 6, we hear about Stephen. We're looking at that 6 and 7. Look at that tonight. And then next time, chapter 8, uh, about Philip, another one of the seven servers. And then chapter 9 begins the third section of the book. Tonight, we look at a sermon by Stephen, the first martyr. Children, a martyr is someone who has been killed defending the faith. That's what a martyr is, someone who's been killed defending the faith. We see in uh, Stephen's sermon his response to the accusations made against him. He will declare for them the mighty works of God. He will declare God's mighty works in history. As I was working with this text and mentioned somewhat earlier, it's a very difficult text to divide up. Um, so we're going to look tonight... Uh, focusing on the sermon that uh, Stephen gives to us. And next time, look once again, I won't read the whole text again. Come back, okay, I won't read the whole text again. But next time, focus on the results of this type of preaching. We have before us a sermon that is occasioned by opposition. We read in verse 8, And Stephen full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So Stephen, being set aside and ordained as this server, he is doing great things, full of grace, full of power, doing wonders, doing signs. And there are those in the synagogue who want to interact with him. Uh, verse 9. We read, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen arose up and disputed with Stephen. They wanted to discuss these things with him, but apparently Stephen always bested them. Verse 10, and they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen always won the argument. Well, you can imagine, that did not sit very well with them. So much so that they raised up false witnesses. Look at verse 11. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They get these, uh, these men to come and make charges. Two charges against Stephen. He speaks against Moses and he speaks against God. Those charges are somewhat fleshed out in verse 13, and they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. So putting these two things together, there are two fundamental charges being made against Stephen. He speaks against Moses and the law. He speaks against God and this holy place, meaning the worship of God. Two charges. He speaks against Moses and the law. He speaks against God and the worship of God. He says, we read in verse 14, We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, that's the temple, worship, and will change the customs of Moses delivered to us. That's Moses and the law. Two charges being made. Of course, Jesus did 
explained the law of Moses. He gave it its full meaning. You have heard it said, but I say to you, they misunderstood. He was not abolishing the law. He was fulfilling the law. He did speak about this holy place. I will destroy it and build it again in three days. But he was speaking of himself, his body. They misunderstood. Speaking against the law. Speaking against God and his worship. This text is still so relevant for us today. What is the place of the law? What is the place of Moses in the life of the believer? We still have arguments about that. What is the nature of proper worship? That is still a huge topic of discussion. And, and we see in Stephen's answers fundamental truths we can hold on to to answer those questions. As he, as he looks back to history, to God's work in history, his response is a response for us as well. He will answer their objections by looking at the history of God's people. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. The high priest said, Are these things so? And his answer is a long sermon. It is one of the longest sermons recorded for us in the book of Acts. And perhaps as you read this sermon, or hear this sermon read, it does seem to kind of ramble on. Uh, I have heard sermons ramble on. I'm sure I've preached sermons that just seem to ramble on. But Stephen is making a very particular point in this sermon. He is going to answer both the charges brought against him as he preaches this sermon. The charge against his changing most in the law, his charge against changing the worship of God. These two themes he will answer in this rather long and what appears to me maybe be a rambling sermon. In fact, beyond that, he will demonstrate to his accusers, it is not me who is changing most in the law, but it is you. It is not me who is changing the worship of God. It is you. He not only defends himself, he brings the accusation to them. He will paint a picture from the history of God's working with his people to demonstrate he is the one standing with God. They are the ones standing against God. He begins, verse 2. Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. And he's going to pull out several leading figures from Israel's history. He begins with Abraham. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. It would call to their mind God's coming to Abraham, telling him, to leave his, his home, to go up to Haran, and eventually to go down to Canaan. Reminding them that God had promised to Abraham, this land will be yours. Even though Abraham at that time had no descendants. Look at verse 6. And God spoke to this effect, that his offering would, his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. 
Yes, he would have the promise, but his offspring would be oppressed. His offspring would be afflicted. Although they had done nothing wrong, they would receive the opposition, they would receive the affliction. He's beginning to make the point that the one following God is the one who is afflicted. Abraham and his descendants followed after God, yet they're the ones who were being afflicted. He goes on to Joseph, verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Joseph, son of Jacob, oppressed by his family. Joseph, the one who was the beloved son of his father, sold into slavery. His own family oppressing him, although he had done nothing wrong. And when he's finally purchased and he gets into Potiphar's house, he is again, again oppressed, although he is innocent. It is the one who is oppressed who is the one who is standing with God. Later, Joseph raised power used by God to be the salvation of his people even during the time of famine. The oppressed is the one whom God stood with. He had not earned the oppression. It was put upon him, and God stood with the one being oppressed. He goes on to speak about Moses. Verse 17. And as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham. The people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants, kill their children, so they would be, not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. Moses, one who was oppressed even before he was born. The Pharaoh makes the edict, all the born, all the Hebrew children shall be killed. Even before his birth, Moses is oppressed and he comes forth. Although he had done nothing wrong, he is oppressed by the Egyptians. We go on in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Remember the story about Moses fighting with, uh, killing the Egyptian. Someone sees him, but he's doing it for the sake of his people. He's doing it as their protector. And yet rather than embrace him, thank you for what you've done, they would oppose him. Verse 27. But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Rather than embracing what he's done, they would oppress him. They would not receive him. Who do you think you are? They say to Moses. And eventually he leaves and goes to the desert. We finally pick up in verse 35. This Moses, 
whom they rejected, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him. This one who was oppressed, this one who was sent away, this one who was rejected, this one is the one that God chose. This one is the one that God would use. Stephen is painting a picture for them. That the one who is oppressed, the one who is afflicted, is the one who is standing with God. Although he'd done nothing wrong, they are the ones who throughout history have been afflicted. And the one who is the oppressor is the one who stands against God's chosen one. He is painting a picture for them to see. Stephen, the one being called to account. Stephen, the one being oppressed, just like throughout history, is the one with whom God will stand. And the oppressors, the Sanhedrin, they are the ones who stand in opposition to God. We read in verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? You're doing exactly like they did. Saying you're working for God, but you are standing against God by persecuting, by oppressing the one who is innocent, who is standing with God. He answers the first charge that he is changing Moses. He's changing the law. He says, no, I'm doing what has always been done. You are the ones who are oppressing. You are the ones who are not standing with God, with Moses, and with the word. He goes on to answer the second charge about worship, changing uh, the worship of God. He speaks in verse 38 about Moses in the wilderness. This is the one, Moses, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside in their hearts. They turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Moses, who was the people's deliverer, Moses who led them out, when he went up to the mountain to receive further instruction of how they should worship God, while Moses is receiving that instruction, they are down below saying, we're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We're returning to Egypt mentally, to Egypt spiritually. Let's make a calf who will be our God. They, they were the ones. They were the ones below the mountain who were changing the proper worship of God. Look at verse 44. Our fathers had the tents of witness in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. They made the tabernacle, this place of worship. The tabernacle, which would become the temple of God. We read about that in verse 46, going on to David. David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked him to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High 
does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? David had the desire to build a place of worship for God. It would be his son Solomon who would build it. And over the course of time, although David had the best of intentions and Solomon carrying those out, they began not so much to worship the God of the temple. They began to worship the temple itself. It became a source of pride for them. Look at this glorious temple. It became what they put their, their faith and their trust in, not the God of the temple, the temple itself. We see that it was those who were changing the worship of God. Not, not those who were looking to, to whom God would send this Christ, this true temple, but they themselves looking to the temple itself. We read about the Sanhedrin who had made this holy place. But they, they looked at the holy temple, but they rejected the holiness of the God of the temple. Verse 31, 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You're being just like them, he says. Just like your fathers rejected the proper worship of God, honoring the temple more than God itself, you're doing the same thing. He goes on. Which the prophets do not persecute. And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Jesus Christ, who was the true temple, Stephen says, rather than embracing him as the fulfillment of the temple, as the true temple, as the source of our worship, you have betrayed and you have murdered this one sent from God. Stephen answers the charges against him. He has not perverted Moses and the law. He has not changed from the temple and proper worship. It was them who were leaving the proper worship of God. It was them who were rejecting the law of Moses. And he uses this picture from, from Israel's history to point the finger right back at them. We have seen in our study of Acts preaching that converts. We have seen in our study of Acts preaching that exalts Christ. And in this sermon, we see preaching that kills. In this defense, bringing to bear the word of God and the history of God's work with his people, he turns the tables on them, declaring himself to be innocent, the one who's oppressed, and the oppressors are the ones who stand against God. Is it any wonder at the response? Verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man <coughs> standing at the right hand of God. We're going to talk 
more next time about the results of this type of preaching, we notice that what happened is that when Stephen stands for the proper understanding of the law of God, when he stands for the proper understanding of the worship of God, when he points out he is doing what is right and they are the ones who are wrong, their response is to take up stones and to kill him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. This type of preaching, this type of standing for the word of God and for the worship of God ends up with Stephen being killed. Now, I don't expect, I don't expect there are any of us, by God's grace and his mercy, there are any of us who, for standing with God's word and for standing with proper worship, are under the threat of being physically killed. But there are other types of death when we stand with God's word, when we stand with proper worship. We may, we may have the death of our reputation. We are marginalized when it comes to our opinion. Well, you're just so old-fashioned. You just want to hold on to all the old things. And we lose our standing, perhaps, in our community or with our peers. We, we have a death of a reputation. Perhaps, and some of you know this, when we stand with the word of God and the worship of God, we have a death of relationships with those in our families who do not hold to the same convictions about the word of God, who do not hold the same convictions about the proper worship of God. And those relationships are strained and sometimes even killed, perhaps with our friends, with our close friends. We stand with the Lord. We stand with his word. And when oppression comes, we should not be surprised. It has always been that way. Which of you of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? As your fathers did, so do you. And yet Stephen, as he is being stoned, we read in verse 56, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The, the one who stands with God's word, the one who stands with God's worship, has a vision of Jesus himself. Standing on the word of God. Standing on the proper worship of God. This preaching... This holding to God's truth led to his death. But in that, he saw the Lord. He saw Jesus Christ, who had given up even his very life to redeem Stephen and all who are in Christ Jesus. He saw that Lord who continues to call out, who continues to call, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Look to me and rest from the burden of your sins. Look to me and know the assurance of salvation. Stand with my word and worship me according to my word. And you will see the vision 
of Jesus Christ as we leave this life and enter into heaven. When we are challenged for our faith. We should not become faint-hearted. It has always been this way for the people of God. Those who stand with God, those who stand with his worship, Stephen reminds us, throughout history have been oppressed. But they were the ones who were standing with God. Oh, we pray that God might, by his Holy Spirit, continue to strengthen us. That we not give in. That we not let go of this holy, precious, inspired, infallible work. That God keep us strong in embracing that work. And strong in our desire to worship him as revealed in that work. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we gather tonight and we worship in such ease without fear of persecution. And yet we know, O oh God, that that is only because of your restraining goodness to us. Lord God, should trial come, should hardship come, should persecution come, strengthen us, O oh God. Strengthen us in our desire to stand with your word, to stand with your worship. And know that Jesus Christ himself is standing along with us. We are so weak, we are so frail, we are so easily turned aside. So we ask for your blessing and we ask for your strength. Hear us, O oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.